With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. And hello out there to all you uh, Bedford and Sullivan folks, Brooklyn folks. This is the Converted Mets fan, Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, uh, coming at you live from East Flatbush. And we have a, a, a veteran of the show, uh, actually, uh, on the show tonight. He's given us our first Giants briefing of 2016, and that is Gary Mintz of the New York Giants Preservation Society. Gary, Happy New Year. Sam, happy New Year to 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 you and all of your uh, faithful listeners. I wish everybody a year of uh, health, happiness, prosperity, and maybe a uh, either a Giants or a Mets World Championship. I like the either or. Obviously, you know, I'm hoping that the the, uh, the even season for you doesn't happen uh, as it has been in this decade. But you know, maybe we'll we'll get a chance to battle that one out. We'll talk about 2016 as it relates to the, you know, both the Mets and the Giants. Why not? We'll see where the uh, the podcast goes. But unfortunately, we do have to start on a, a somber note, and that is the, the passing of uh, Giants legend Monty Irvin. Um, Gary, obviously you didn't see him play, uh, but and, and, and it, it's interesting. I, I actually got a chance to talk to him briefly, and unfortunately we weren't able to get him on the show. But, but give us a little bit of, um, you know, your... What what you have learned about Monty Irvin over the years and the legend that is Monty Irvin. Okay. First of all, the first time I came associated with Monty Irvin was from my father. My father would just spew out names, Alvin Blackie Dark. You know, uh, he, he would he would always call him. It was always Monty Irvin, and then he would say the Orange Cutie. And I never, you know, I, I guess I was silly, never asked him where he got that. But as it turns out, you know, uh, he was from Orange, New Jersey, Monty Irvin. And Cutie, he was always smiling. So that that's where that nickname came from, the Orange Cutie. He always called him that. Um, I, I had the pleasure of speaking to him once. He was in a sort of like a nursing facility in Houston. I, I think he was living on his own in, in like an assisted living what what a nice uh, respectful man and you know he had all of his uh thoughts together and and uh just he seen you know like I said I'd never met him in person never saw him play but I've done a lot of research um and just a trailblazer uh, you know one of the first african americans to uh play the game came up with the giants from the first African-American outfield with uh, Hank Thompson and Willie Mays. Uh, just an extraordinary man. Later, you know, uh, after his playing days were over, he w- he worked with the commissioner of baseball. So well-rounded uh, individual. And uh, unfortunately, he was the oldest of the uh, surviving New York Giants, which now numbers only 23. Yeah, and living uh, you members. Know, unfortunately, that's unfortunately that's how you know life goes, and, and that number will keep dwindling as 
but but you know legacies are are uh, are made and and you just you you keep the history alive and that it just as long as we have all this kind of access online you know and I'm able to go right to my urban statistics uh, including uh, apparently his Negro League statistics and what they were able to compile uh, through that. Um, it looked like he started in the uh, the major leagues in 1951, which is obviously a big year for the Giants. Uh, he actually it, came know, up in the. As, he as came some up listeners in, of the Do- the Dodgers side of things would not like to hear that, but yes, go ahead. He he actually came up in 49. Oh, 49. Oh, there we go. 49. I'm I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. My fault. I read that completely incorrect. Very very interesting statistic that I I did some research myself, and. Um, after the Giants won in 1954, in 1955, uh, he wasn't playing too well. He was actually sent down to the minor leagues, which, you know, would seem... Like, yeah, Minneapolis. Uh, uh, right, and then, away, and then, and and you, I know what an astute fan you are. You know, today we have this Rule 5 draft where a lot of these guys... Some guys get picked and not household names, and they have to remain on the major league roster for the whole year for the team to keep. Monty Irvin actually was claimed by the Chicago Cubs in 1956 in the Rule 5 draft, and that's how he finished his career with the Cubs. So they left him. They basically left him off because they thought he was washed up at 36. They thought he was done. That's, so that's remarkable. He, and and yeah, you, look, you look back at here... Uh, they actually, you know, they're able to compile everywhere. He played for the, I guess that was the Newark Eagles, right? That's correct. Right. So, and and then uh, Jersey City. So he and he's from Orange. So I mean, <laughs> he's a Jersey guy. That's exactly right. You know, and uh, you know all the obituaries that were written about him. Willie Mays said he was, you know, a tutor to him. You know, Mays looked up to him as a father figure, even though. Mays is going to be 85. It was only, you know, an 11-year difference in their ages. Irvin died. He was he was going to be 97 in February. But but for somebody well, to say you know, a, father, uh, a father figure when, you know, more like a big brother, really, but called him a right. father figure. So, and there was a lot of talk about um, that uh, he, he, he was almost too nice of a guy to be the first African-American brought up, and some people right. say that's why Robinson was the first. Just because of, of the reputation of fighting back, and or, or at least, I mean, because what's so interesting about that was that he he picked somebody who did have a history of fighting back, as as um, considering he 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 was, uh, you know, before Rosa Parks did what she did uh, in terms of the back of the bus, he was doing that uh, in the army uh, in, in that's the correct. military. Um, and, but, you know, he, he, he wanted that kind of stoic, uh, not stoic, but, but that kind of hard type of, uh, of, of shell, um, because, you know, obviously Branch Rickey had to want, he didn't want him to fight back for those few, first few years. That's correct. Um, so that, yeah, that's interesting. And then, and it's, it's kind of similar to, uh, the way Roy Campanella and Jackie Robinson were compared. Right, but uh, really, anything you read or anybody saying anything, he he kind of brought a smile to everybody's face. He was just a well-respected, uh, beautiful man, and uh, 
unfortunately, he lost a lot of great year. I mean, if you look at his statistic with the Giants, you know, one great, really great year, but he lost so much time because of the color of the skin, but he was, in fact, honored in the Hall of Fame based on his, his work in the Negro Leagues. Right, exactly. I mean, you look at it, it's, it's uh, from 1938 to 1957, he played baseball, age 19. And in the Negro League, that was nine seasons, he compiled a 354 batting average with a 393 on-base percentage and a 532 slugging. And in modern terms, it's an OPS of 924. Uh, he had 20 home runs and 135 RBIs, uh, 17 stolen bases, walked 36 times. Uh, the amount of plate appearances were uh, 613. So it's, I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, it, it, you know, they don't really have the records of how many games he played, but it sounds like they played a lot fewer games. Right, and I right. have to get our, our uh, Negro League Museum friends back on the air to, to give us a little bit more of a details regarding that. Uh, going to the minor leagues, I mean, he, bat, he batted 375 in the minor leagues. Obviously, he was, uh, you know, by the time he got to Jersey City, he was 30 years old. So he was right. Uh, there's a reason why he had 373 that year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his statistic with the Giants, he had, he had two great years with the Giants. But, you know, he had come up in 49. He was already 30 years old. So 50, most, most... It, seemed like, it seemed like he had a breakout year in 50 where I mean, he walked 52 times, struck out only 41, and his plate appearances went up to 432, and he had 112 hits, 19 doubles, that's, pretty, that, that's good, 15 home runs and 66 RBIs. You know, he produced more power, uh, and, and again, we need to know how many games he played in the Negro Leagues, but, right. um, you know, you, you look at his in 1951, he had an unbelievable year of 312 batting average, 415 on base percentage, 415 on base percentage. That is uh, productive. Amazing. Uh, 514 slugging, 24 home runs, and 112, uh, 121 RBIs. And he only uh, he only missed three games. And played 151 right, right, out of 154. Yeah, out of 154. Yep. Now 52, he only played 46 games, and, and I know you might not. Uh, know it since you weren't around at the time, but do you have any idea? Is that just injury or was that military base? That I don't know. I I believe he was in the military. Um, okay. I read something that he he had something to do with the military, so it could have been you know Mays also missed you know fifty fifty uh, two and fifty three. Um, I mean, it looks like his next best year was nineteen fifty three with twenty one home runs, ninety seven RBIs, three twenty nine batting average, four oh six on base percentage, five. 41 slugging. And yeah, they, all, they in, also, you know, Matt, Sam, they also say, you know, statistics don't show the real things. Right. Superb outfield, a great base runner. He was, right. he was all around. He just, he just unfortunately came up late. And, you know, that that's... Well, I, you know, I, I think, I also think a big flaw of baseball statistics from the get-go is that they never had a, you can, you it, it's, you have this almost immeasurable offensive categories, and then nothing really for defense, hardly anything right. other than just errors and, and fielding percentage. And I don't think they've ever really mastered. And that's, that's you know, that's what the modern uh, technology and, and uh, modern statistics are trying to do with defense. I mean, because, you know, when you really think about it, like somebody like Keith Hernandez could easily be all fan. Right. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm biased. But <laughs> Defensively, no doubt about it. He was uh, Hernandez was, was best first baseman I ever saw in my time, defensively. Right. 
Right, and and he could certainly hit, swing the bat and did so for about ten to twelve years, uh, well until the injuries caught up with him. Sam. So you know, was, during the during the Mets heyday, during the Mets heyday in the eighties, when you needed a clutch hit, I think you wanted him up more than Strawberry, more than Carter. You wanted Hernandez in that batter's box. Exactly. Exactly. And but that's uh, you know that's for a whole other podcast. Look, going Absolutely. back over. Uh, Monty Irvin's career, um, he did start to, like you said, uh, especially in 1955, he had been sent down to Minneapolis. And he only hit one home run and 17 RBIs with a 253 batting average. Uh, he, 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 he was basically Ruben Zahada this year because he had an on-base percentage <laughs> of 337. Um, right. And, and then with Chicago Cubs in 1956, actually – you know, it wasn't half bad. He had a, he had a uh, decent to, year, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he had less plate appearances, meaning he was obviously in mean, 111 games, so he obviously had a role. I don't know how the 56 Cubs, and, you know, I'm I'm actually very curious right right off the bat to see where that is. Uh, but he batted 271, uh, 346 on base percentage. Slugging was 460. On uh, OPS was 807. I'd take that on my team any day of the week, you know. Um <laughs> And then what's really interesting is for the Brooklyn affiliate. Oh wow! I, uh, 1957 for the Brooklyn affiliate. He was 38 years old. He played four games, 11 plate appearances, 10 at bats. So I'm guessing he walked once or, or got hit by a pitch or something. Um, and he batted 300, 364 on base percentage, 600 slugging, 964 OPS. But those numbers mean nothing in the amount of plate appearances he had. Do you know anything about this? What what the uh No, the I I I I saw he was in the PCL in, in that last year. But I, like I said, I the was Los Angeles PCL cuz they cuz they had swapped it with the Cubs. Right. Uh, I was really like I said when I was doing a little research on him, um you know, I'm a school teacher and I I wrote a baseball trial this year and Monty Irvin is is actually one of the witnesses in this trial I'm doing. So when I was researching it, I was like I said very shocked about this uh that he was sent to the minors in, in, in with, from the Giants. And that Rule 5 thing really, like, stuck to me. Because, like I said to you, and you know, most of these guys are people you never heard of. It's not usually a veteran. That's how baseball has changed in, uh, you know, 60 years since that happened. Right. In, my tri- in my trial, uh, I'm doing a baseball trial at Horace Stoneham, and the, the all African outfield are all considered to be witnesses saying that Horace Stoneham, you know, brought up a lot of uh, African-Americans. And um, one of the kids who was playing Monty Irvin said, you know, uh, my name is Monty Irvin, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then he died last week, and I had to change it to, you know, I am the ghost of Monty Irvin now. So uh, he will always be remembered. And and the kids, you know, the guy who's playing him, they're only in fifth grade. They don't know any better from reading the paper, but – you know, I cut out the article for him, and I wanted him to to know that the guy he's portraying, not that he was dead, but really existed, and he was considered to be, a, you know, an elite baseball player. Looking at this, it's interesting, uh, looking at the Wikipedia page, because um, I wanted to find out about uh, the Los Angeles element. So it looks like a back injury, uh, this is according to Wikipedia, a back injury led to Irvin's retirement as a player, and I same the injury during spring training that year and only appeared in four minor league games for the Los Angeles Angels of the Pacific Coast League. 
So it looks like, and I'm going to have to obviously delve deep into this uh, element of it for the end, uh, the the potential end of the of the series, um, is that he was picked up by the Dodgers after the Cubs year, and unfortunately just didn't work out. Going back, however, he was uh, going a little earlier uh, to what as we were talking about in terms of. Um, uh, Jackie Robinson, this is uh, according to Wikipedia, he was approached in 1945 by Brooklyn Dodgers executive Branch Rickey about being signed uh, for the Major League, but Urban felt he was not ready to play at that level so soon after leaving the service. The New York Eagles business manager, Effa Manley, would not let Rickey sign Urban, uh, Urban without compensation. Rickey had already obtained Robinson without paying for his rights to his Negro League club, said Urban. From a purely business standpoint, Mrs. Manley felt that Grant Rickey was obligated to compensate her for my contract. That position probably delayed my entry into the major league. Mrs. Manley told Rickey that he had taken Don Newcomb for no money, but she wasn't going to let him take me without some compensation. Furthermore, if he tried to do it, she would sue and fight him in court. Rickey contacted her to say he was no longer interested uh, in and released me, and the Giants picked up my contract. You know, getting back to what we, you know, he, he, Irvin was in the service, but upon further review, the reason he missed all his games in 52 was that he got hurt, broken leg. Broken leg. Yeah. Injuries, uh, they're unfortunately an unavoidable part of the game and a part of life. And uh, may we continue, uh, many of us, to be extremely lucky to uh, Absolutely. Have One other so, thing about Irvin that, you know, besides being honored in the Hall of Fame and everything, is that in 2010 the Giants finally retired his number. And that was based, you know, more um, on his Negro League um, statistics and abilities than and, and playing for the Giants. But it, nonetheless, recognition was probably long overdue. Completely agree. And I'm looking at the photo on Wikipedia of that, uh, that, that uh, ceremony. Looking also, just to um, we'll wrap up Monty Irvin on this, uh, he worked for Ryan Goldbeard. Uh, he was a scout for the New York Mets from 67 to 68, and then he moved to the commissioner's office in public relations under Bowie Kuhn. Bowie Kuhn, yep. and he was the By the way, exec- I, I, here I might, I, I know I'm a little older than you, of course, Sam, but when I was growing up, just to interject here, uh, Jackie Robinson, all I remembered him was having white hair, and he worked for a drinking firm. Do you know who that was? Chuck Fulton. You home run right there, man. Very good. <laughs> I, he was the spokesman. Chuck Fulton. That was a grand slip. Nice job. But I remember I was maybe nine years old. It was like 1970. I remember, and he, I guess, was sick or just all. All I remember, he had. Uh, his afro afro was was all white, and uh, he worked for Chuck Fuller Nuts. Yeah, and, but, uh, and uh, but, he unfortunately uh, died early because of uh, diabetes as well. Yeah, Monty Urban, I think, might have been the first uh, African American to work with with Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner at the time. Yeah, he was really like you know, like I said, really totally respected by the game, and and, and everybody, nobody ever said a bad word about him. And you will certainly be missed. And uh, with that, for the podcast at least, we certainly closed the book on on Monty Irvin. But uh, yeah, we'll I would I would think always. 
I would yeah. think the Giants this year might honor him by wearing a patch, maybe a twenty or, or something yeah, on their on, on their, their sleeve. I, I think that would be that's that probably that's that's a would be the classy move uh, for sure. And the Giants have um, since McGowan at least took over have uh, shown the class. So. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, since since that era, and obviously it's under different ownership now, but but they've uh, they've done a great job in honoring their past, and especially their New York roots. And and speaking of that, uh, I was just walking around Brooklyn tonight, and I saw somebody in a blue LA Dodgers cap, and I immediately just did you get I sick? guess just because I got I, I, I it's not even exactly I just got well the blasphemy. It, it it there's something that's not right about seeing that walking around Brooklyn, and obviously. The person wearing it is not necessarily thinking of that type of connection, you know, uh, but at the same time, it just it gets me thinking, you know, I, I've, I've um, you know, I, I, I've jumped into the deep end of Brooklyn Dodgers lore, and I understand uh, their perspective. And on my way home, I saw an SF, actually, which is really ironic that I had the two contrasts in Brooklyn. I saw somebody wearing an SF hat, and I said to myself, it's just not the same feeling. Yes, mind you, I have, like I said, jumped into the deep end of Brooklyn Dodgers lore, but at the same time, I think I have an understanding that it just wasn't the same, and maybe that's Willie Mays, maybe that's just uh, Walter O'Malley and the way he left being the most profitable team in baseball, at least in the National League. Uh, you know, it's just it's an interesting divide. There's uh, much more hatred toward the Dodgers, they were so tightly, tight, tightly woven into the fabric of the community in Brooklyn. Um, the players lived near the ballpark. Most, a lot of them walked there. Uh, they were beloved. The Giants were loved, but in a different way. It was, it was, you know, the neighborhoods were different. Um, it was, it was a total different feeling. Uh, I believe so when the. When the Dodgers when the Dodgers announced they were leaving, it you know it killed the whole community. Whereas when the Giants left, it probably killed the fans and not necessarily the community. And many of them you know stayed partisan to the Giants even when they left. I know my dad did. That's why I'm a Giant fan. I I became a Giant fan in 1969. It wasn't you know I wasn't around for when they were you know in New York. But he never. And that's that's what's so interesting is that uh, it coincided obviously with such an unbelievable Mets run. And so you became a, a big Giants fan in in 1969. Uh, uh, how many miles from Shea again? I live. Uh, I live in yeah. Huntington. I live about 30 miles from 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 City Field, Shea Stadium. Right. Sam, my first right. game, 69, Mets, Mets, Giants. Zero zero. Juan Marichal still pitching in the bottom of the fourteenth inning. Gary Gentry uh, pitched for the Mets. He went nine innings. Anyway, in the bottom of the fourteenth inning, I asked my father to take me to the bathroom, and my father refused. So he had my brother take me, and uh, we went into the stall there. And then all of a sudden, we heard this roar, loud roar. And we ran out to, you know, to to see the field. And Tommy Agee was rounding third base. He had a home run. Mets beat the Giants one nothing. Juan Marichal went 13 and I don't know if it was a third or two-thirds inning, lost one nothing. 
That was my introduction okay. to baseball. Was that Wednesday, May 28th? Uh, I believe it was in August. August. So they were already in the middle of their run. Because I, I, found, I found a May 28th one nothing win over the Giants. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Uh, over the Giants. What? Where'd it go? Here we go. Oh, that was the Padres. What am I talking about? Let's get out of here. <laughs> I am it pretty right sure it was Giants, August. It was right before the it was right before the Giants came into town. And it might have been like uh, August ninth, maybe something somewhere around there. No, you you nailed it. August nineteenth. Good good call on the nine. 19th. I like that's okay. my favorite number, by the way. Um, <laughs> it, uh, what's interesting about that is the game I I first saw, which ended up being a Padres game before the Giants came in. Uh, McGraw was the winning pitcher, and this was fourteen innings. The it it. Uh, Sent the Mets record to 67-51, still eight games behind the Cubs at the time. One nothing went in 14 with a Marischal loss. So Marischal was going. I mean, this isn't the game he pitched that uh, what 220 something. No, that was that was against Warren Spahn when he won one nothing. That that's considered to be the greatest game ever pitched, actually. Between the two of them, right? Yes. That's that. Yeah. So uh, what's crazy looking at this, and to go off on a Mets tangent real quick, is that... But I, let me tell you, Sam, win, in 19, 1969, as an eight-year-old, first following the game, all I remember, even though I love the Giants, the Mets just never lost from August to right. like the end of the year. Anytime you turn well, the TV on, they, they won like every game. That, that right there, one, two, three, four, was their fifth win in a row of six before they lost to the Giants in uh, 11 innings, 7-6, to six, where McMahon, uh, what's his first name? Let's see. Don McMahon. Um, Don McMahon, thank you. Don McMahon was the winning pitcher, and uh, Ron Taylor was the losing pitcher for the Mets. But after that, they beat the Dodgers, and in fact swept the Dodgers, 5-3, to 3-2, three, 7-4. Three to and um, at that point, so uh, going back to the one nothing game that you were at, uh, the uh, Mets were eight games behind, and then the next day were seven, halted at seven, and then six, six, five point five, and I guess Sunday, August twenty fourth, they had two games, they had a day off before a doubleheader, and that because of whatever the Cubs were able to do in between, I guess the Cubs kept losing. They by Tuesday, August twenty sixth, they were only three point five behind the Cubs for first place. And, and basically, as you look at it, they kind of, you know, tiptoed their way towards it. You know, at September 1st, 2nd, 3rd, they settled into five games. But then all of a sudden, and it's coinciding with playing the Phillies and then the Cubs coming in. Um, and those are probably the two games that everybody always talks about, the cat, the black cat, because right. all of a sudden the Mets are 1.5 games and .5 games, and then they never look back. One other thing about the 69 Mets and, you know, the Mets in general that I'll always remember, probably the most underrated pitcher maybe in my lifetime was Jerry Kuzman. Guy was yeah. a gamer, never got the recognition, you know, he deserved. He was, I mean, talk about Seaver being so great. This guy was like 1B. He was terrific. Yeah, and uh, it, it is, uh, you know, he... He didn't finish well record-wise with the Mets, although he kind of that all had to do with the fact that they were not as good of a team. Um, had some pretty good years. Uh, he went to Philly, and it's so crazy that some 
two Mets that are so attributed to the 1969 New York Mets are also, and probably, and definitely um, uh, Tug McGraw more than, than Jerry Kuzman, attributed to the Philadelphia Phillies. I I remember Kuzman on the Twins more than anything after he left the Mets. Am I am I going crazy? Hold on. You're going. He he finished up. I'm looking now at his stats. Eighty four and eighty five on the Phillies, but most of his he he, okay. spent, he spent years in Minnesota. He won twenty games in Minnesota. Right. You know the thing about the thing about um, Tug McGraw is he he is kind of viewed by both teams to be uh, legends. Absolutely, as is uh, Lenny Dykstra. Yeah, and I'd have to say that the uh, the Phillies got more steroid end of Lenny Dykstra than we did. Absolutely <laughs> correct, and the nuttiness of him too. He's a nut. Well, we're coming uh, we're coming up on the end of the uh, of the live parts of our show. Unfortunately for our audience, they're going to have to listen to the uh, uh, what we have to say after the the uh, uh, thirty minutes is up uh, about the two uh, fifths. 2016 Giants. So, uh, in the last minute that we have, uh, Gary, before we talk a little bit more in depth in the archive side of the show that you can access on Blog Talk Radio, everybody, uh, discuss a little bit what what uh, you know what you hope to be another even season for your 2016 Giants team. Uh, it's first time, and you know, even when they won the World's Championships three out of the last six years now, I never went into the season thinking we were going to win. I, I have very good vibes about this year. I think the major disappointments last year were um, lack of starting pitching. And I know there are some question marks about Cueto and Samarja, but boy, oh boy, compared to what we had, I mean, I, I mean, we we had, you know, a washed-up Tim Hudson last year. Tim Lincecum, I can never say anything bad about him, but, you know, done. Uh, you know, and Matt Kane done last year. Hopefully he comes back this year. Not much confidence in Jake Peavy. Now all these guys have slid back. And, you know, Madison Bumgarner, terrific, you know, ace. I, I, I'm very confident this year. And the big, the, the best move that happened all winter for the Giants was Zach Greinke going to Arizona. Just getting him away from Kershaw was uh, mentally, that's such an uplifting move. Not having to face those two guys. I mean... But I don't know how to mess beat him last year. But, we, you know, not having to face them back-to-back, but, I mean, Arizona seems to be uh, trying to revamp. I mean, they, they have, they've been kind of on the cusp, except not being really able to push towards the, the top echelon of that division. Um, what do you think of them this year? I think Arizona's much improved. I don't think they addressed their bullpen at all. I mean, uh, is is Brad Ziegler really? And they, and they gave know? us uh, that's Addison Reed. Uh, the NCRD guy was a very good player. They gave up for Shelby Miller. But, you know, the, comparing like the Mets and the Diamondbacks, the Mets have Familia. I know, I know he didn't pitch well in the World Series, but Brad Ziegler, to me, is not a major league closer. Well, let's, let's be honest going to Yuris. Uh, there was really one pitch that he would really want to take back because everything else I don't like, I see as circumstantial around him. The Gordon home run? The Gordon home run was a, a quick pitch right after you did a quick pitch, which was just not smart. He got a little too cocky. Uh, right. But everything else, 
I, I feel as if it was circumstantial. He should have been probably brought in from the beginning of that Tyler Clifford debacle, which ended with uh, the Daniel Murphy era with, with him with familiar on the mound. And then everything else, I mean, he, he got the ground balls that you need to set up what you're, you're supposed to set up, and unfortunately it didn't work out because of some more errors. So He should be their worst problem. He's, you know, I totally agree with you. I mean, Daniel Murphy... Wonderful story with the hitting, but let's call a spade a spade here. He, he he's atrocious at second base. He just is. And and not and not to say the Mets like really got their uh, their defense together. That didn't really happen. But what what they've done is is get players that have been at their positions for a while and know what they're doing. And especially with Neil Walker, I mean, he gets to balls and he doesn't make the like. The, the biggest issue for Daniel Murphy on that play was he didn't get in front of the ball. He's lollygagging, even with the, the runner going into second base. You still got to zone in. It's the World Series. You get in front of that ball. I've seen you do it before. It, it, let me, it let me tell Murphy, you. I mean, unfortunately, it's, it might have, have been mental in the field. You have to be worried. I mean, I know he made plays. But any time the ball was hit to him, I'm just a giant fan watching – I'd be nervous when the ball was hit to Daniel Murphy. He's just not a good. He's a, he's a nice hitter. Neil Walker is not a is not a Gold Glove second baseman, but he's he's better than Daniel Murphy by far in the field. Right, and, and, and the so, Mets the Mets have plenty of strikeout pitchers, but you, you, despite that, you gotta have a, a good defensive team behind you, and, right. and the Mets did not. Right, exactly. Now, obviously, the Mets are not necessarily done yet, and I, I want to shift back over to the NLS right after this last point. Um, when looking at the fact that Danny Murphy went to the Nationals, and the Mets are not necessarily done, but they've obviously, you know, they, 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 if you look at what their goal was to get more versatile and, and, and just look like basically play a little bit more of the kind of Kansas City game uh, that got played against them, um, uh, uh, when you when you look at that and look at the Nationals, Danny Murphy losing some starting pitch. I mean, like, what do you what do you think? Like, if people are saying that the Nationals are still going to beat the Mets, I mean, they got to be out of their minds. And mind you, anything can happen. It's going to be a crazy season. But on paper, right now, I still don't see how the Mets are uh, uh, not the best team in that division. Alone. Washington has a lot to prove. When you have pitching, when you have pitching, you're in every game. The Giants won in 2010 with a putrid offense. They had, they had fantastic pitching. The Mets' pitching is better than the Giants' pitching was in 2010. The Mets have phenomenal starting pitching. And they, but the only thing that's missing, and they, you know, Cespedes. It was a tremendous pickup. And, you know, unless Conforto, you know, is, is as good as he appeared to be, uh, you know, they're going to be, it's going to be like, you know, a lot of games, torture games, two to one, three to two. Most nights they're going to come out ahead because of their pitching, but they need that defense. That is the key. You know, uh, Cabrera, is he that much better than Flores at short? It might be a wash. Walker is a better defensive second baseman than uh, than, than uh, uh, Murphy. 
You know, they they got they got to they got to play. You know, Conforto is looks at the, the one see the thing with the Royals that everybody envies is not this. They have, to me their starting pitching is is very uh, ick. It's yeah. kind of crappy. I don't I don't see that. They have athletes at positions who run, who hit. All of their all of their players know how to play the game. That's that's why they're so good. They got athletes. They all can move. They steal bases. They bunt. They know how to play the game. They don't beat themselves. Big difference. The Mets the Mets could have lost the series because they beat themselves. You know, Cespedes kicking balls. Murphy not picking up balls. Duda making just an atrocious throw home. He would have been out by a mile. And that seems to be what the uh, issue for re-signing Johan Cespedes is, is that throughout the game, it's not just with the Mets, uh, people are concerned about a diva reputation and also the idea that once he gets paid, you're not going to get the same effort. Um, Right. Seems to, and it's just everything is pointing, and Terry Collins was coming out quoted on it, is that Cespedes wants to return to New York. Uh, and it's kind of right now just about the front office and what they want. Um, look at the way uh, Seth is swung at, at the pitches. I mean, you know, there's a certain style that they're going for, and that's taking pitches. And it really paid off in that Washington game I saw live where they were down 7-1 in the seventh inning, and I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that, both in the Mets' persistence they keep taking uh, pitches and also the the Nats' persistence in not throwing strikes. Um, I mean, these were it was a pretty fascinating thing to watch, and I didn't I didn't completely grasp it as I was watching it exactly what right. was happening because uh, you know I was very visceral in the moment about what was going on. Just, that you know, that whole series could have been the uh, the the end of the end of Drew Storen's uh, career with the with the Nationals. Yes, and that's all. That's basically all Mike Rizzo and and uh, Matt Williams' fault. Mostly Mike Rizzo, although Matt Williams might have done one of some of the worst managing that that I've ever seen or anybody has ever seen. But Mike Rizzo is the one who uh, never had confidence after that 2012, the way 2012 ended in Drew, Drew Storen, and unfortunately. Um, the last thing that he needed was a Jonathan Papelbon, of all people, to come in and take his job away. And my let me mind, tell you, like, my, bu- Mike Rizzo, a ball player, it should you know he's a grown man, it's a ball player. But at the same time, I mean, you know, know your personnel. Absolutely, Mike Rizzo might have handed the Giants the 2012 World Series. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you uh, do what he did with Strasburg? And Strasburg's never been the same, but he he babied him and didn't let him pitch. I I was nervous if the Giants were going to play them with Strasburg, because that's when Strasburg was Strasburg. You know, you can't you can't you can't. What you want about the series, but the Mets handled it properly. I'm sorry. No, I said say what you want about the way they performed in the World Series, but in terms of their pitchers, the Mets handled the whole thing properly, and because of Strasburg. Absolutely. I mean, everybody learned a lesson. You, you may not get another chance to get somewhere, and you, you don't bank that you're going to be back next year. And that's what they did, and they're not back. So, so speaking of uh, where you guys might be um, this year, 
considering this just seems to be a pattern for you, but at the same time, like, you never know. That's what's so remarkable about the run you guys have been on. Uh, I'm going to start with the Dodgers, actually. They've lost Granke, um, but they have they have a superstar in their front office. I mean, do you think that they they might be almost, like, ironically in a transitional period, especially with Don Mattingly gone? I'm sure, you know, they'll develop. They have, they've signed a lot of, uh, you know, players from different country, international market. But again, no matter how you read about the improvement that they might have, not having that one-two punch. And again, I was shocked the Mets were able to beat them because of those two right. guys. I mean, Psychologically, when you go into Dodger Stadium now, they don't come in. When they come in, you're not scared of losing two out of three anymore, because you were going to lose those two games if those two guys were pitching. You know, I don't know about this Menta guy. You know, today they signed Joe Blanton. Are you afraid of him? (laughs) Officer Joe. Officer Joe Blanton. World Series is almost ten years ago. But I mean, and, and. you knew the Mets, uh, Anderson, the, the lefty, when he pitched that game. You knew the oh, Mets were going to beat him. I mean, that game. was you. I mean, that was a disaster. And, and well, you know, and what's his name down? Hung, Hung Chi Ryu. Yeah, he. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen with him if he's I mean, coming back. Don Casimir. You don't know what's going to happen with him. Oh, he signed, might break down Casimir? again. Yeah, they signed Scott Casimir. Huh. Well, you know, I mean, I think right now Andrew Freeman is kind of like similar to, you know, it's different. He came into a position where they were, they had been winning, but it's clearly, you know, the new the new uh, ownership attempting to get more sound at, at going about what they they need to go about. Obviously, they've been, they've been spending some money, but they want to develop better, and Andrew Freeman can help them do that. I mean, I think totally right now it's clear that. But if I was a Dodger fan, I, I'd be really ups- I know the money is ridiculous. But, again, those two guys. And, you know, if the Mets keep their guys, it's going to be similar to that with the Mets in a year or two. That, you know, anytime uh, DeGrom, Syndergaard, or, or Harvey pitch, you're thinking if those are the three you're going to be facing, good chance you're going to get swept. Maybe. And, 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 but, as a, uh, and as a Giant fan, I I was nervous any time those two guys. First thing I wanted was to get a hit. I didn't want to be no-hitted. And then you try to get a run or two because that's how good those two guys are. I think that Syndergaard is going to be the one. I mean, I think they're going to keep two. I think they know in terms of, like, potential long-term, I think they keep two. And I think Syndergaard, however, is probably the the – most likely to stay stay with the Mets in his entire career. There's just something about, and mind you, like Matt Harvey was a, a good example of how uh, public yeah, perception can turn on a dime. But uh, I, I think that um, just Syndergaard built up a lot of goodwill, especially that, that game where he just came out throwing inside immediately. And uh, he tore New York. He, he really seems to, to, like, especially after, like, that spring training incident with the whole food thing and, and David Wright throwing, uh, uh, yelling at him about eating lunch while everybody, while eating like I think it was an intra-squad game. Right. Talk about talk about a championship year being set in spring training. 
the, the Mets did a f- phenomenal job. They really did. Unbelievable. And it, and it came because, I mentioned it to you before, fantastic pitching and a little bit of luck. Remember, they would not be anywhere had they acquired Carlos Gomez, who's a, who's a show-me right. player, who is not a... They talked about him being a, a, a big-time hitter. He's not a big-time hitter. Jonas Cespedes is a big-time hitter. And without and him, they, they wouldn't have got that, anywhere. Hopefully they can lock that down, so in making uh, the pitcher's job easier. Gary, there's we're also, uh, coming up on, on, on the end of... We're coming up on the end of the show, unfortunately. Uh, but I just want you to uh, give a quick word, a last word on, on the Giants and everything we've spoken about. I would have liked the Giants to try to get a left field. I would have loved Cespedes, of course. Uh, the <laughs> Giants need help in, in a backup player who I think the Giants or the Mets should really sign. Guy's a freaking winning ball player. And I didn't want to hear it. The Mets made this big deal about Kelly Johnson nonsense. Juan Uribe... Yeah. He's the perfect backup infielder for either the Mets or the Giants. Giants had a great year from Matt Duffy. He needs a break. Juan Uribe is a threat off the bench. Great in the clubhouse, as you knew with the Mets. Uh, you know, why does he want to go to Cleveland? Is Cleveland's only offering him a contract? If the Giants don't sign him, which the Giants should pursue him, I It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.